Hey, y'all, you tired of church teaching that just ain't right? It's kind of contrary to all God's word and such. Well, you need to know how to refute it. This here channel will help you out. We got answers. Welcome to Contending for Christ Apologetics, where old Danny boy seeks to equip you with some tools that you can go out and fight that good fight and really develop that there Christian faith. Now get after it, y'all. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Contending for Christ Apologetics. You see, Christmas is going to be here in about three weeks, and like I said in the last episode, I want to spend the next few episodes talking about Jesus' first advent, or in other words, season we're commonly referred to as Christmas. You see, I'm very excited about today's episode because it's fa I believe it's fascinating. It's remarkable, and it really shows the prophetic, miraculous Christmas. You see, when people speak of the word Advent of Jesus, they're merely speaking of Jesus' coming. Because the word Advent simply means arrival. You see, when you're looking in the Old Testament, we actually see two comings or two Advents of Jesus. We have the first Advent, that's referred to as Christmas. Then you have what's called the second Advent, which is when Christ returns or Jesus' return. And that's what confused the Jewish people back then and even still today because they're only looking for one coming of the Messiah. But if you were to actually look in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, you see a clear distinction because that verse talks about Jesus' first coming. And the following verses from verse 10 on to Zechariah chapter 10 verse 12 talks more about his second coming. And so we see a distinction through the prophet Zechariah. You see, like I said, I'm very excited about this episode. I titled it, The Probability of a Prophetic Christmas. The Probability of a Prophetic Christmas. You see, it's been said that there's over 300 prophecies of Jesus in Scripture. And today we're going to look at eight specific prophecies that speak about a coming Christmas, or like I said, the first advent of the promised Messiah. You see, these promises are found from the Garden of Eden through Abraham, Isaiah, Micah, to Malachi. From the beginning of the Christian Old Testament, Genesis, to the end of the Christian Old Testament, Malachi, prophecies of Jesus' first coming are all over the place and very evident. You see, while I'm only talking about eight prophecies of the coming Christmas, if you have any ideas or if you have any thoughts or any other prophecies that I'm not covering here, feel free to let me know in the comments here on this episode. And we could talk about them and look at them. But I really want to focus on eight specific ones because this episode is going to be more about probability uh, of showing a prophetic Christmas like the title says. So these eight prophecies, they're going to be in somewhat of a sequential order of events. From the promise of Redeemer's coming to about the time of his advent. And so the very first prophecy we're going to look at is the prophecy of a coming Messiah is in the Garden of Eden, which takes place after the fall. And we all know this one. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And the Bible says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You see, this is the very first prophecy of the Messiah. And this is really the initial steps of progress towards victory over sin, the effects of the fallen world because of our great-grandparents, uh, Adam and Eve, and the victory over death in Satan himself. And so from there, in the very first prophecy of a Messiah that's going to come and restore everything back to its original creative order, from there we go to Abraham. 
Abraham in his faithfulness in God, his trust in God, we're told it's going to be through him that the entire planet, not just his people, but the entire globe, spherical globe, I must say, will be blessed by having the Messiah come from his lineage. And we see this promise, uh, prophecy in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, where God says, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because thou hast obeyed my voice. You see, we see this fulfillment in the New Testament through Paul's writing to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9 and verse 16, Paul says in the scripture, Foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel to Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, And to seeds as of many, but as of one, into thy seed, which is Christ. You see, here in this promise that God had made to Abraham, he said in one particular seed, one particular human being that will come, will bless the entire globe, spherical globe, that is. And so we see that this promise, this prophecy, has to do with one specific person, not people, but one person coming through the lineage of Abraham. That's an important prophecy because it's also going to reveal that the Messiah is going to come from Isaac and not Ishmael. And we're going to see that here in a minute. You see, Ishmael is technically the father of the Arabs. And while Isaac is the grandfather of Israel or Jacob, it makes a clear distinction that the Messiah is going to actually be Jewish. We see this in Genesis 17, verse 19. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed, again singular, after him. You see, the covenant that God had promised to Abraham is being carried on through Isaac, and it's going to be established with his singular seed. Again, we can turn to Paul's writing in Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 through 31, where Paul says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And he's talking to Gentiles, a Gentile church in Galatia. He says, We, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman, talking about Ishmael and Hagar. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free, talking about Sarah and Isaac. So that's the next prophecy, is the fact that it's going to be an individual coming from the loins and lineage of Abraham and Isaac and of the Jewish people. As a prophet of God, the next one we're talking about is from Isaiah. You see, Isaiah prophesies that the first advent of Messiah will be authenticated by a sign. You see, God authenticated many things in the first century on throughout the Old Testament by signs and tokens, merely to authenticate a promise or a message that a prof prophet had. 
You see, we see the Messiah would come to gain victory over Satan, be that from the Jewish lineage, and now more specifically, Isaiah tells us he will be born of a virgin. We see this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, the Hebrew word there for virgin is the Hebrew word Alma, A-L-M-A-H. And this caused quite a controversy, and there's a debate as to the definition of this word. Some believe Alma is actually a word meaning an unmarried young woman. But if there's a specific sign, a token, something to clearly authenticate a promise, do we really think that an unmarried woman would be a sign? Or would we see a virgin being a clear, authenticative uh, token, a sign of this prophecy? You see, we see this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, where it says, A virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Only being born of an actual virgin would be that sign, that authentication of this promise. You see, now the world waits for a virgin to become pregnant. And it's going to be about 800 years from this prophecy from Isaiah for it to actually be fulfilled. So I want to encourage you, don't be discouraged if you're looking at the events of the world today and you question the promises of God. You question the promises of God for peace, restoration, restitution, because we see God's faithfulness in the past. And we can trust his faithfulness today in the future because we know that he changes not. You see, this prophecy is going to reveal more specifically that the Messiah is going to have an individual get the hearts of the people ready to receive him. And this is found in the book of Malachi, where there's going to be a messenger to prepare the way. For God says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. So we see this, that there's going to be a specific individual who's going to prepare the way before Jesus comes. We see this in, I believe it's Mark chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. God says, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You see, this was John the Baptist. This was Jesus' cousin who was born just a few months prior to Jesus. He actually declared the coming of Jesus and the offer of the kingdom of God to the Israelites. So from that prophecy and the prophecy of a messenger to prepare the way for Jesus' arrival, to get their hearts ready to receive the gospel message, we see now through the lineage of Abraham of the Jewish people, born of a virgin, have a messenger to prepare a way, we see one of the most specific prophecies of the Bible. The Messiah would be born at Bethlehem. You see, this is actually very important because the United Nations in 2003, which, though there's a little bit of debate, identifies a city as having 150,000 people and population, said in 2013 there were over 4,400 cities in the world. That doesn't count for the plethora of villages or towns or rural areas. So there are an enormous amount of locations today. 
It said in the New International Commentary on the New Testament that Bethlehem's population at the time of Christ was under 1,000 people. And so out of all the locations in the entire world that Messiah could have been born, he was born in a very small town called Bethlehem, which was very little and of insignificance at that time. Similar to Isaiah's prophecy, Micah made this prophecy 800 years before the advent of Christ. And so we see Bethlehem being a very influential town 800 years prior to the birth of Jesus. We find this in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, where it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet... Out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. So again, this is very specific to a very small, insignificant town in Israel that the Messiah would be born. You see, we see this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, and in Luke chapter 2, 4 through 7. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And in Luke's account it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went there to be taxed, with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And so here we find in two of the Gospels, the fulfillment of Jesus being born in a small insignificant town in Israel called Bethlehem. See, another prophecy of Isaiah is not only that the Messiah would be born, but also that the Messiah would be God from everlasting and peaceful. We see this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, we're told here that the child that's going to be born is the mighty God, the definite article of the, and he is to be the, again, definite article, the is specific, the everlasting father. He's also going to be the prince of peace. And we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You see, I love the song called uh, How Many Kings by the group Down Here. It really paints a very clear, very marvelous picture of what God's done for you and I. Verses go, and I'm not going to sing like I did on the last one with we three, uh, we three astrologers from Chaldea are. But the lyrics go like this. How many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? 
how many fathers gave up their sons for me. Only one's done that for me. You see, God's great love, he veiled his deity and began his journey in the flesh for you and for me. The purpose of his coming and God's coming to dwell among us was to gain the victory over sin and death and hell and Satan to give us the freedom of eternal life because of our mistakes we made. See, the final prophecy we're looking at today, prophecy number eight, is not necessarily a prophecy of Christmas, but rather a prophecy of the purpose of Christmas. As I just mentioned, God had to come to fix the problem that we created. The prophecy is specific again here and very prophetic because it not only talks about the death of this Messiah, but a specific means of death, crucifixion. What's vital is the fact that when the psalmist wrote it, crucifixion wasn't even invented until the Persians came on the scene 800 years later. So when the psalmist wrote this and pointed to a crucifixion, crucifixion was not even known at that time until 800 years later. We see this in Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. The hands and the feet piercing really point to a crucifixion. You see, we read this in John 20, verses 25 through 27. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Thomas, Except I shall see his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again the disciples were within. And Thomas with them, Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. You see, Jesus, full knowing his path, why he came, why he came to this earth, knowing he would have to endure the pains and the agony of the crucifixion, knowing that he would be spit on, he would be rejected, despised, a man of sorrow, hated by those he came to save. Knowing all of that still offers forgiveness and redemption to all who call upon him. That's the amazing love our God has towards you and I in the entire world. You see, these eight prophecies are prophetic of the first coming of Jesus, or what we would call as Christmas, to remember this coming. These are just eight of them. From the coming in order to defeat sin, death, Satan, to being born of Abraham through the Jewish lineage of Isaac, to be authenticated by a sign of the virgin birth, and to be presented by a messenger, John the Baptist, prior to his arrival, to being born in a small town, less than a thousand people in insignificance, and being a peaceful person, God in flesh, who dies at the hands of the people he created, dying and saving a world that rejected him. You see, that, my friend, is what Christmas is all about. You see, it doesn't matter whether he was born in December or March or September. What matters is that he came, as prophesied, and he did what he came to do. To live the life you and I couldn't live, to die the death you and I deserve to die. And he did it because he loves you and he loves me. See, these prophecies show 
God's faithfulness to his word. And that no matter what the enemy tries to do, God will accomplish his sovereign will. One thing I want you to think about is probability. You see, the odds in winning the Powerball lottery is 1 in 175 million. So that would be six zeros, 1 in 175 million. Professor Peter Stoner, who was the chairman of the Mathematics and Astronomy Department at Pasadena City College, wanted to look at the probability of statistics and the likelihood of one person in the entire history of humanity to fulfill eight prophecies of Jesus. So, as the professor of mathematics, he determined that the odds of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies of Jesus are one in a hundred quadrillion, or one in 117 zeros. See, while the eight Christmas prophecies we just talked about are a little different than the eight that Stoner chose, it's only eight prophecies where you get the odds of one in a hundred quadrillion. And there's said to be anywhere from 55 to over 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Bible. You see, we don't have a Messiah that's one in a million. We have a Messiah that's more than one in a hundred quadrillion. You see, Satan couldn't stop and prevent the coming Messiah. From the promise of Adam and Eve to the Garden of Eden 6,000 years ago, God remained faithful and came. Just as Satan tried to prevent him from coming, so he is also trying to prevent his second advent, his second coming, by focusing his attention on the genocide of the Jewish people. You see, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, and such is the case with the accuser, the father of lies, Beelzebub, Lord of the Dung, Satan. He will repeat his failure at the second advent of Christ. This Christmas, as you and I are passing around presents needing a family meal, let us never forget the miraculous advent of Christ, the faithfulness of God, who maintained his plan of offering redemption to a lost and dying world by stepping off his throne and entering into our world. Glory to God in the highest peace on earth and goodwill to men. As always, I thank you for checking into this episode to the C4C Apologetics Ministry. If you like the podcast, if you like these episodes, please don't forget to subscribe. Give me a rating. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google uh, Podcasts, Apple Podcast stuff, Spotify, CastBox, Podcast Player, whatever the case is. Give us a rating. Leave us a comment. And share this with all your friends. But most importantly, know that Jesus loves you. So until next time, I thank you for checking in. God bless.